For those listening online, we appreciate you joining us this morning. We are in a series on Jesus's Beatitudes, the word meaning blessing. They're in Matthew's gospel and we'll be working on these Beatitudes or they will be working on us up until Palm Sunday as we move through Lent together. We've come to the first Beatitude today, the first blessing that Jesus gives in his definition of his ministry, his kingdom is found in Matthew 5 verse Three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. So he's not talking about financial poverty. It's not a blessing to be financially poor. He's specifically talking about spiritual poverty. Spiritual impoverishment, which one means it's possible or he wouldn't have brought it up. And it's interesting he puts this as his first blessing. He begins there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is there? What is the blessing in being poor in spirit? What does that look like? In Luke's gospel, Jesus told a little parable about two men going up to the temple to pray. Now, parables are stories that did not actually happen. But they always happen. They happen all the time. But they're not historical stories. This never happened. Two men went to the temple to pray. And so in making up this little story, Jesus chooses intentionally the two kinds of men he wants you to see in the temple. The first one is a Pharisee, the second, a tax collector. Why choose a Pharisee? Pharisees were one of the four schools of thought in Judaism in the time of Jesus. They originated much earlier in history, actually for a good cause. Pharisees came into being in order to guard spiritual purity and maintaining the law of God in order for Judaism to survive. So Pharisees were good. It was a good thing. But like many things, good things can go to extremes. And by the time Jesus came along, Phariseeism was in an extreme mode. A Pharisee had become a person who was extremely judgmental of other people and was self-righteous and condemned others while at the same time ignoring their own spiritual poverty. Jesus called them hypocrites in the Bible. Very, that's a powerful word. And he argued with them more than he argued with anybody else, which is interesting. He didn't argue with politicians as much as he argued with Pharisees. He didn't argue with prostitutes as much as he argued with religious Pharisees. 
And some of his arguments are pretty harsh. If my mother had been around, she'd have said, Jesus, I don't believe I would have said that. (laughs) So a Pharisee, he picks him intentionally to come to the temple to pray in this little made-up story that never happens but always happens. The other guy in the temple is a tax collector. Now, that's interesting. Tax collectors were despised by their own people because they were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. And so the taxes were unfair and they were overburdening the people. They were erratic. They could tax you for a wagon of hay or for... uh, you know, a a bucket of water or anything they decided they wanted to tax you for. So you never knew. And if a Jewish tax collector was collecting money from his people to pay to the Roman Empire, you got a real problem there. You're paying money to the oppressor, to the oppressor. Here's the other part. The way a taxpayer got paid, tax collector got paid, was he would collect what Rome demanded and anything above what Rome demanded was his. So you never knew if he was, if Rome wanted this tax or that tax because the tax collector was putting on his surcharge. And so in essence, tax collectors were seen as, could be seen as traitors of their own people And many of them were dishonest and many of them were rich off of the backs of their own Jewish people. So when you read the New Testament, they say a despised tax collector. That's where it is. So it's almost uh, shocking when you see Matthew chosen to be in the 12 disciples of Jesus. He has a tax collector in his cabinet. That would not have passed Senate hearings. So here we have two guys who Jesus has picked on purpose, who were despised for two different reasons, and he has them come to the holy temple of God to connect to God. That's what prayer is. Two of these guys who everybody hates comes to the temple to connect to God. But it is the tax collector in this parable who stands far off. He wouldn't even have come in the sanctuary. He would have stayed in the narthex. And he couldn't even look up to heaven. And he beats his breast and he says, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus points to those listening to him and said, that guy got it right. He named his spiritual poverty. He said it out loud. It's mine. It's me. I'm the one who is spiritually impoverished as I stand before God. Now, the other guy in the story, the Pharisee, uh, he prays this prayer. Jesus makes this prayer up and puts it in his mouth, which I think is a little entertaining, which means that Jesus had heard Pharisees pray various prayers and basically is saying, Pharisees pray like this. Now, here's the prayer. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Have you ever prayed that prayer? And then it gives a list to God in case God can't figure out who those other people are. Thieves. Rogues. You know what a rogue is? A rogue is a person who is dishonest or undisciplined. I thank you, God, that I'm not undisciplined. And then he throws in adulterers. And then he points to the tax collector and says, or even like this tax collector, I'm not like him. And then he goes on, which Pharisees tend to do. And he says, I fast twice a week. Pharisees count, by the way. They build up their brownie points. I fast twice a week. And here's the kicker. I give a tenth of all of my income. Now, I'd like to have some Pharisees in this church, actually. (laughs) I'll take a few. I give a tenth of all my income, not net, gross. And I think the people laughed around Jesus as he told this story. It's sadly humorous. Because we know that guy. I've always wanted the Pharisees to be somebody else. Don't you? I mean, I always want to talk about them when I come across them in the New Testament. They're those self-righteous people. They're the people who belong to Pat Robertson's 700 Club. Or they're Jerry Faldwell's people. Or they're Franklin Graham. Or they're somebody, but they're not me. I'm an open-minded, moderate to light liberal Presbyterian. I'm not like those people at all. They've got it wrong. And I've got it right. Thank God I am not like all of them. And then you hear it, don't you? The voice of the Pharisee within yourself. I always wanted to be somebody else, not me. It's easier to see it in somebody else. And don't you think that's why Pharisees were so irritating to Jesus? They irritated him. I mean, go, go read the Gospels and just go quickly and find the places where Jesus is arguing with Pharisees. He is so agitated. I mean, they just light his candles. They pull his strings. They're the people he just can't get past them. I know he teaches about love your enemy and all that, but he's right on the border of not being able to do that with the Pharisees. I think the human Jesus is struggling every time he opens his mouth or gets around a Pharisee. Because it's one thing to be spiritually impoverished. It's another thing to be unwilling to admit it. Worse yet, 
is to point to somebody, to it in somebody else and refuse to see it in yourself. You see, it's not our spiritual impoverishment that is a problem for God. Not at all. It's our denial of it. That's the blockage. And isn't that the point of Jesus' little parable that never happened, but always happens? Spiritual poverty shows up in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes it's in the tax collector, and that's those people you see who just get blatantly caught. You know, they they get caught red-handed. It happens in the news. You see people, they've cheated on their wife. They got caught doing something in business. They're the tax collector. They got nothing. And they come into the temple, and everybody knows they're a tax collector. And so they come in and pray their prayer and beat on their breast and, and... And ask God for forgiveness because they're so blatantly caught. And it's just so obvious for a tax collector. And then other times our spiritual poverty shows up in our Pharisee who looks so good on the outside because that Pharisee does all the right things. I fast twice a week. I go to church. I give a little money to God. Uh, I'm a Boy Scout Christian or a Girl Scout Christian. I get my badges. um, I go to my meetings. A Pharisee's hard to sniff out because they just look good. And it's easy, easy to cover up what's wrong on the inside of a Pharisee. See, the rest of us wouldn't know unless it's within ourselves. Because in either man's case, there's something bankrupt in their spirit. There's something empty in their soul. Depleted, unforgiving, angry, depressed, irritable, maybe never satisfied. All of that comes with spiritual impoverishment. It's called poor in spirit. I don't know how that happens to a religious person, but it does. I don't know how it happens to people like you, but it does. And sometimes you can't even name it. You don't know what it is. Other times you project it onto other people as if to say it's their fault. If I didn't have to... If I didn't have all these substandard people around me, I would be happy. You ever thought that? And sometimes you're thinking that about your own family. If I didn't have all these substandard people around me in my business, in my church, in the, in, in the political world, in, in my family, if I, if I didn't have all these, it's their problems that I'm not right. And then there are all the attempts to drown out your spiritual poverty. You self-medicate. Cocktail hour starts at 6 and lasts until 11.30. That's not an hour. What is it you're trying to kill? What is it you're trying to put to sleep? 
we do it. We find a way to try to numb up the emptiness in our connectivity with God. And we've lost the focus of why we're even here at all. Or we overachieve. We just get busy and try to drown it out. Or we rationalize our behavior. Or we fill up our life with toys and activities and leisure. And none of them will substitute for our spiritual impoverishment. See, we're not the kind of people who like to talk about this. It's always somebody else. You know, my parents were looking for A's on my report card. And they might take a B, but C's were not thinkable. I found out because one day I I made one C and I found out. That is a lie. I made more than one C. (laughs) I mean, how can people like us admit that we're spiritually impoverished? We're educated, which has nothing to do with it, by the way. Most of us are wealthy compared to the world model. We're wealthy. We're the rich. That has nothing to do with it. In fact, that can contribute to it. We're pretty. Um, We're Americans. I mean, we're the people who shouldn't be spiritually impoverished. It's difficult to say it. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's difficult to get to that tax collector and to the ownership of his impoverishment. I mean, it's embarrassing to be spiritually impoverished. You're not supposed to be that if you're a minister, I'll tell you. And yet, I'm going to tell you this. There are many, many ministers preaching today who are spiritually impoverished. They are dry as the dead bones of Israel. And you spend your whole day covering it up. You pray the prayers, you go to the hospital, you act like you're into it, and underneath all of that, you're dead. And you know it, and your spouse definitely knows it. And your whole game is to keep other people from finding out. And if ministers are going through that, don't you think people sitting in the pew might be going through that? We call it clergy burnout. In the Presbyterian church, we lose 50% of all first-time called pastors within the first five years they're out of seminary. That ought to bother us. It bothers me. Spiritual impoverishment may have something to do with that. It's hard to say it. And especially when you're surrounded with the trophies of success. I had a friend named David Lloyd. He was uh, president of Putt-Putt International. Do you remember that business? Putt-Putt International? 
I mean, we call all miniature golf now putt-putt. But that was the original miniature golf. It was based out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And David was a handsome young guy, um, and he had the good life. David had the good life. He had a beautiful family. He married a former Miss North Carolina. He had a thriving business. So what was this guy doing at Duke Divinity School when I got there? That didn't make any sense to me. David said, uh, Steve, you know, in spite of all that success, I, I just had a deep sense of emptiness in my life. I think he called it being spiritually bankrupt. And he said, I came to seminary thinking maybe if I stayed here and studied and and thought through this, maybe I could get to where I need to be. And he ended up, he didn't go into ministry. He went back into business where he belonged. I mean, David would have driven a church crazy. But here's the point. Acknowledging his spiritual poverty was a blessing. Not a curse. And like the tax collector, David Lloyd said it out loud. And so he stopped pretending. And that's when the door to intimacy to God is opened. That is when the door to your true self is open. Humility brings us to the throne of God's grace. And we go home from that place justified not because of our accomplishments but solely because of our acknowledgement of our need of God's grace beatitudes are blessings right so the blessing of spiritual impoverishment is that it presents us the opportunity to know God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.